This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you drive long haul, short haul, or heavy haul, they're here to empower and inspire women in the trades on TNCRadio.live. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. You're listening to Women Road Warriors with hosts Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro, where we work to inspire and empower women in trucking, in the trades, and everywhere. I'm Shelley, and I'm Kathy. We like to feature women who've made inroads into industries where women have often been excluded. We have a very special guest today. Michelle Sullivan is an author and social impact advisor. She's a gifted communicator who inspires people all over the world. She's spoken at TED Talks, Dreamforce, and the Atlantic Festival and motivates people with her message of resilience, hope, and impact. Michelle Sullivan is truly a social impact powerhouse. She's the author of Looking Up, where she tells her story about being born with dwarfism and how she overcame the obstacles about being looked down upon by others and led with an elevated view of other people. This empowered attitude led her to becoming the president of one of the biggest philanthropic organizations, where she served as the president of the Caterpillar Foundation, as well as director of corporate social innovation. She turned that organization into a global strategic powerhouse that places human beings first. Michelle's known for her collaborative approach to philanthropic investing and the empowerment of women. Hey, Michelle, thank you for being on the show with us today. Hey, Michelle, it's a real honor. I know we've met before. We've met before a few years ago at the Caterpillar Women in Leadership uh, Conference down in Peoria, but uh, it's always such a joy to talk to you, always. You too. I love when we get to work together. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. Michelle, you're such an amazing person. You've done so much to empower others. We want to learn more about you and your message of resiliency and hope. I mean, I just, I find you just absolutely astounding. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, I, I really believe that we all have a story. We've all had a path that we've taken in life, a journey. And mine started, uh, I'll say quite a few decades ago. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) I was born uh, with a unique and very rare form of dwarfism. And, you know, back in the day, really the only little people that you saw were in the circus, more or less. And so it was quite a shock to my parents when, you know, the doctors told them the day I was born that I was born, you know, with dwarfism. And the doctor said, you take her home and you treat her like everybody else, which, you know, at the time and you know, I'll I'll say it's in the 60s. You know, at the time, that wasn't usually the case. If you had a disability, you went to a special school, etc. And, you know, I think my parents would have done that anyway. They were resilient in their own ways with their childhood. And it helps, though, to have, you know, a doctor, especially back in the day, you know, say something like that. But I believe it affirmed what they would have done anyway. And so there were really no restrictions placed on me as I was growing up. And I didn't know I was going to be different little until I went to kindergarten. And, you know, my brother had gone to school and now's my chance. I went walking down the hall at five years old and had my chest stuck out like I owned the place and, you know, waddled into the room and the teacher welcomed me and I plopped down. And, and it wasn't but a few minutes, you know, playing in the circle with the children that the boy next to me, you know, says, hey, uh, why do you look so different? And why are you so little? And I didn't think he was talking to me. So I looked around thinking, who's he talking about? Because I don't see anybody that looks different. And then the girl next to me on the other side said, yeah, why, why do you look so different? And all that confidence I felt going in, I could feel it melting right off of me. And I think we've all had those moments in life where you've suddenly found yourself outside the circle. Yep. And I didn't know what hit me. I was five years old and I had no idea what they were talking about. And so when my mom picked me up, she goes, well, how was it? How was it? And I looked at her and I said, is there something wrong with me? And my mom hesitated. And I'd never seen my mom hesitate. And I'm sure she waited five years for that question. And she said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a little bit different in your size and that God makes us all unique. This is something that people can see, but you can still do anything you want, Michelle. Of course, I didn't understand that at the time. 
And so I was always, you know, stared at and everything. But then in about first or second grade, we started playing this math game called Around the World, where the teacher showed you and I put another person flashcard. And then whoever answered first, the math equation, you got to move to the next desk. And I found out that I was great at math. I won every time. And I became known as the smart girl, not the little girl. Isn't that interesting? And it was very evident to me because I had started to develop orthopedic problems. And so it was very evident to me that education was definitely going to be my way forward. And, you know, God also blessed me with, you know, a good mind. Most of the time I have my mind. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so my parents stressed education, the Little People of America, the organization, you know, for little people stresses uh, education as well. And so I just, you know, grew up otherwise, you know, like everybody else. And then, you know, I went on and got my master's. I was working at IBM at the time. And then I went to Caterpillar and had a marvelous career. And, you know, it's interesting because I've been retired from Cat for a couple of years after 30. So 32 years ago, Caterpillar, Big Yellow, hired me. And that didn't happen very often either. You know, back in the day that people with a disability, you know, was hired. And I had a fabulous career. I had people who gave me great opportunities to shine. And I, you know, had a a varied path, you know, with many jobs. And it ultimately ended up, you know, with one of the most wanted jobs at Caterpillar is the president of the foundation because we invest around the world. It's a very influential foundation because people are like, oh, well, if Caterpillar thinks giving people access to water is important, maybe I ought to invest in an organization that gives you know, people access to water. And so, you know, I'm very blessed in so many ways. I've traveled the world. I, I know how lucky I am to be born in the country I was born into at the U.S. where you know, I was given the educational opportunities, the health care, and then I was born to the family that I was born into. And so I wanted to give that to everybody else. We all desire the same things. We all want to feel needed. We all want to feel valued. And so for me, my life's work is that. I feel that we all have value, and that's what the book Looking Up is about. You know, I look up to people literally because I'm only four feet tall. But it taught me the greatest relational posture, which is to look up to people because we all have value and I want to get to know you and I want to see your value and help you realize it. And really, that's my life story in a nutshell. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. Know, you. Mich- Michelle, like, like your, your struggles and my own personal struggles, I've written in my book in Dream mm-hmm. Big, um, we, we had very different challenges, like almost to the point of the opposite side of the alphabet. But um, it either pushed us to become victims or trailblazers. And I think both of mm-hmm. us have become trailblazers, but you mm-hmm. are definitely a trailblazer and then some. <laughs> yeah. So when you found yourself with your biggest obstacle throughout everything, what steps did you take to begin the process of overcoming that op- that challenge, that obstacle? You know, I get asked that question a lot. And I don't know, you know, the argument of nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. where are you born with it or is it nurtured from, you know, early on? And I'll be honest, I think it's both for me. My parents say that <laughs> I was born with the gift of gap coming out. And... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that was developed because I know in the first 10 or 15 seconds, and I learned this early on, people, I'll know if people see past my size, you know, my disability. And some people are extremely awkward around me and I, I understand why they are. And so I usually always talk first. And I have a whole chapter in my book called Make the First Move. But you also have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and let your guard down and let people say something that maybe isn't appropriate, like call me a midget or something. But you have to realize that they probably don't know that that's not the best term to use. Whereas in today's world, when somebody says something, people get jumped all over 
for, and I think that's the wrong approach. When somebody says or does something that isn't appropriate to me, you know, I take it as a teaching moment and take the high road to say, you know, first of all, my name's Michelle and I'm happy to meet you. And you start talking. And then if they still are uncomfortable, you just move along. And I don't take it personally, but that's not very often. Most people, once you break the ice for them and you make the first move, then you're getting somewhere. And I never think that if something doesn't work out, that that's the end of it. I just keep plugging away and success may not be what you originally thought it was, but did you move along the journey the way you wanted to? And then that's success to me. So I don't really remember when something doesn't work out for me because I just keep moving along the journey. And to me, there's not necessarily a destination as, you know, am I happy? Am I making a difference? Am I, you know, providing for myself and making an impact on the world? And so the nature nurture piece, I think it's both for me because my parents expected me to buck it up and let's find a solution. You may do it a little differently, but you can still do it. You know, I've, I've snorkeled at the Great Barrier Reef. I was, uh, the president uh, nominated me to be a U.S. delegate to the United Nations on the Commission on the Status of Women on behalf of the United States. Wow. How does that happen? That's How does that awesome. happen? But wow. it's a privilege yeah. to, to speak for women around the world. You know, I, I took that as we got to make sure that girls aren't married off at 10, for instance, things like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So you have to keep plugging away, but never do I do anything by myself. You know, think about anything that you've ever accomplished. And did you really do it by yourself? There's a whole lot of people that have helped me get to where I'm at. And by help, they give me the opportunity to shine. Then it's up to me. Right. And I got to go do it. Right. So you got to be ready. And I've spent a lot of my time getting different experiences. And that's been helpful too. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Did you know that 80% of America's communities rely on trucking alone to deliver their goods? The trucking industry keeps America running thanks to the 3.6 million professional truck drivers traveling over 300 billion miles a year. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward, or TMAF, tells the story of trucking and its positive impact on our economy, communities, and lives. Learn how you can be part of the industry movement working to build a strong image of trucking by visiting TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. So you had some really great champions along the way. I did, and I still do. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Mm -hmm. But it's important, too, for you to be a champion for others. Mm -hmm. I think all, all the things I've said, it works both ways. We have to support others as well. I take that very seriously to really mentor people and, you know, give them the confidence. And for young girls, I think the greatest gift, if you have a young girl, is to give her self-confidence and self-esteem. Oh, I agree. Then if you don't, she'll look for someone to try to please, and then they take advantage of them. So you have to help give them self-esteem and self-confidence. So in, in speaking of mentorship, who were your mentors and biggest role models throughout your life? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Well, of course, my parents. And, you know, they could, you know, my dad has passed, but they, they continue to be there. And then also, you know, teachers who really pushed me and gave, gave me opportunities, you know, in, in classes and, you know, guidance on, you know, where to look next for opportunities. And, of course, you know, at Caterpillar, I had several that, you know, really gave me the opportunity where I got positions to take on that were quite challenging and that, to be quite frank, most people don't, didn't want, but I grabbed it. And I never looked for the next job. I did the best I could. And I 
was known for taking a job. And by the time I left, it was totally different and totally expanded. Which is awesome. And I'm, not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so what's interesting, I didn't realize this until I left Caterpillar. My first job I interviewed for, I had interviewed, I was at IBM and I was finished on my master's. But I knew I wanted to work for Caterpillar because they, you know, my dad worked there and it was a global company. And so was IBM. But, you know, IBM was really based out in New York at the time. And so I interviewed for a summer internship and the gentleman calls me, Chuck Williams. He goes, Michelle, I have good news and bad news. What do you want? I said, "Um, give me the bad news first because then I'll end my day on a good note. He goes, you don't get the summer internship. I said, got it. I said, well, thank you. He goes, the good news is we want you full time in two weeks. <laughs> I go, great, great, great. Yeah. So that was the first job. Then 23 years later, I interviewed for the Caterpillar Foundation job because it's the most wanted job and it's picked by the CEO. And I interviewed for that job. Only three people got the opportunity to interview out of everybody who puts in, which everybody almost puts in for that job. So it's interesting. Everything in between, I just kept my head down And I worked and I would talk to my customers, you know, internally usually or the dealers. What, what is it you need? What can I do for you? And then you deliver. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, people notice, they forget, you know, when when a person said, Hey, Michelle, you know, I forget you're even little. I go, well, that's really good. You know, because I forget till somebody brings it up to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny that, you know, it's, it's, they, they see the value that you bring. And so then a new door would open and a new job came along. Isn't that interesting? The first and last job with 27, 23 years in between that I never interviewed. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So did you have any opposition? Did I have opposition? Well, you always have opposition. Uh, And also, you know, this, Kathy knows this, uh, being in the earth moving manufacturing world, there's not a whole lot of women. Right. Uh, especially right. 30 years ago. I would argue even today, there's not near what mm. there should be. So opposition because of that or because of my size, there were people, of course, who at first were doubters. And uh, I mean, I remember my first time in the marketing org, which was truly all men. And I walked down the hall for the first time and all the managers in the offices had half up the wall from the halfway up was glass. So all you could see was my head. I looked like a walking head because that's as high <laughs> as I stood. And I could hear them shuffling. Every single one about fell out of the chair. Like, who is that walking by? And nobody would talk to me. This is about 25 years ago. Oh, so I'd go to my desk and then I, you know, I knew my position and I was like a diamond in the rough. I knew IT and I knew business and I was supposed to get, figure out all their business needs and everything. So I went one by one, met with them. And then I started delivering their information electronically, et cetera. And it was probably six months later, I couldn't walk down that same hallway without Michelle, Michelle, come, come, come here, come here, help me with this. Like it got so bad. I walked down the middle so that nobody would see me. Because I, people wanted my attention. Mm-hmm. And it was all because I delivered. Sure. So was there opposition? Of course. But if I kept delivering, then they had, you know, if they still opposed me, there's nothing I could do. And quite frankly, I, I didn't waste my time. But that mm-hmm. was very few and far between. You know, I'm kind of curious. You said there's very few women in, uh, in the earth moving industry, which I uh-huh. agree. On my crew, there's a hundred of us. Um, there's only 12 women mm-hmm. on my personal crew. So that's not a whole lot. Um, do you, throughout your time, uh, your, your work with Caterpillar, what did you notice with them that the impact of women had in the non-traditional trades? Like, did you, like, did you see the growing trend and was there, did it bring more value to the organization, mm-hmm. do you think? Yeah. Oh, I think. I absolutely think women bring, I think everybody brings value. Women though, if you look at who runs the family, and I talk a lot about this because we work in poverty a lot. Mm -hmm. Even in the deepest impoverished areas of the world that I visited, it's the same as any family, almost any family you'd go to. Who runs that family? The The women. The women do. The woman. Absolutely, yeah. The woman runs it. 
-hmm. And they know how to multitask more than any other person anywhere. Oh, sure. And they also are empathetic. They can, they, I believe they have a sixth sense, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, is something wrong or, you know, how do I approach this person? How do I approach this situation? And also, um, in a non, you know, confrontational way, most women are not, you know, going to yell and scream and, and cuss and all this other stuff that sometimes happens. And so I think women bring a totally different perspective. And in my book, it's really about perspective. We all have grown up and had a life different from the person next to you, but yet it also shaped who you are and how you look at things. And so I would have a habit of hiring people on my teams who maybe didn't even know the subject matter, but I liked their background and I thought they would think out of the box. And I think women always have to think out of the box because they're juggling so much. And I always told my teams, if we all agree on everything, then I don't have the right team and something has to change. So I purposely, some people would call it upset the apple cart. (laughs) When I would hire the person who you think I should have hired because they supposedly knew everything, but I already had a person for that. I wanted somebody that thought differently and that's what women do. So I also think it's not easy for women in any workforce and yet we still hang in there and you're not going to chase us off usually. And there are situations where it's not worth it you know, to be in that situation. So go find another one, you know, because you can only beat your head on the wall for so long, right? Go go where you're valued. And so I, you know, I truly believe that the, the women absolutely make a difference. And we do not have enough really at all, especially as you go up the chain of an organization. We are grossly underrepresented. And I would also throw in there, uh, people with disabilities as well. Um, I think totally different. I, I think very process oriented because what if I get to a place and there's no parking? What if I get to a place and the door's too heavy? Or I get in the elevator and I have to hit floor number 21 and I can only reach number five. Yep. You know, I got to think about all these things. When I interviewed for Caterpillar, um, the first time my mom's friend, her husband worked there and he goes, well, how's Michelle going to get in the building? And my dad's like, what, are you, what? What? He goes, there's a whole flight of steps in the lobby. And I couldn't do steps. So I called back the interviewer and I said, you know, um, hey, <laughs> I understand there's steps in the lobby. He said, yes, is that a problem? I said, yes, it is. He goes, I'll get back to you. And then I ended up going through the loading dock of the world headquarters at Caterpillar to do my interview to get into the building. Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did they finally mm-hmm. put in an elevator? They did. It took probably 20 years. Oh, so my I always, I always went through, you know, it's the type of building that's, you know, all stone. So, like, the, the front steps was actual granite type of stuff. Right. So now we have those little lifts you can put in rather easily. Mm-hmm. And so I always came in the side of the building through the loading dock to get into the world headquarters. Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Isn't that that's some we can move all that dirt, Kathy. I know, but yeah. But I but I could not walk into the front door of the building. Oh wow. 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 But you know, they did it's much better now, but that's the type of trailblazing that people have to do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which has nothing to do with the job, by the way. No. <laughs> You've taught such determination and resiliency to people. What do you say to people who say, gee, um, I just can't do it. And, and it's just, I, I don't believe in myself because I'm sure you run into that. Yep. And, you know, I have doubts too. There, you know, I certainly have my days. But first thing I say is, you know, I'm really sorry that you feel that way because I don't feel that way about you. And, you know, what is it that you're struggling with the most? And then, you know, they open up and Another chapter and concept in my book is called The Kitchen Table. You know, whenever something really, really good happens or something really, really bad, let's say you got a bad diagnosis or like when I actually got the foundation job, you have a few people that you surround yourself with, right, that are very tight circle and I call it my kitchen table. 
and I lean on my kitchen table and you only tell a few people at first. And then as you get your head around it, you kind of start to open up a little bit. And then you tell your village, which is a bigger group of people. And I ask them, who's your kitchen table? And, like and figure out who can help you. Because remember, are you trying to go at this all alone? Because you don't accomplish anything on your own. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. So who, you have to be a team. Who are you, who can help yep. you with this or give you some guidance or connections or relationships that can at least get you started. And, but you have to, you know, vulnerability is really tough to show, isn't it? Cause we're taught to be independent. I was too. But I think the greatest part is to be interdependent because we never do anything alone. Mm-hmm. So I talk more about interdependence than I do independence. And that interdependence is your kitchen table and your village. And believe me, I have a really big village that helps me do my stuff every day. And, and when I would travel to the deepest parts of Africa, for instance, there were several p- types of people, security, and then someone to help, you know, actually get us to where we're going. There, there were all kinds of people just so I could make that trip. And then I wanted to see the work. And for me to see the work, I needed a lot of people to help me. Mm. So was it tough to start asking for help or was that something you were taught that, hey, it's okay to do that? You know, I always have needed help for different things, reaching things and, you know, other types of things, especially through my surgery. So I kind of grew up with it. But, you know, is it nice to ask for help? Not necessarily, you know. Um, I'd rather do it myself, but that's, you know, I'm talking physically. That's not my reality. But also to get things done or emotionally or whatever you need help with, I'd rather be open than to struggle with it. And then I can move on. You know, why deal with something and stew about it if I don't have to? I'm a type A personality. So let's fix it and move on. Let's go. You know, let's, who can help with this? And, you know, let's get it done and get to, you know, what we're supposed to be working on. You know, you talked about perspective a while ago, and uh, I was just thinking of that on my last uh, set of days here, a couple weeks, uh, last week at work, because I operate various pieces of equipment, Mm -hmm. and every piece gives you a different perspective on the mining industry. And I was wondering, I was just thinking, you know, for all the haul truck drivers, that's all they know, because there's some people that's all they do, they don't operate equipment. So for the truckers, they see the mine in a certain perspective. Well, when I get on the water truck, I mean, it holds 52,000 gallons of water. Here, I I get a different view because I have a different job. And when Mm -hmm. I get on the the grader, well, when when there's weather events, I'm the main, I'm the main gal of the mine, right? Because I'm the one making sure everybody gets where they need to be. So it gives me different viewpoints. And I, w- I was relating that to life in, in itself. So if people keep the same track, like the truckers do back and forth, back and forth, and they keep mm-hmm. that same perspective, they have no real room for growth. Whereas if you right. try and look at the, at say your life, like a chessboard, um, different perspective, different pieces have different roles. Well, I think it just emphasizes your whole way of looking at things and, and growing mm-hmm. spiritually. Now, in your book, what do you, like, can you tell us a little bit about where, where, what your per, uh, perception is on that? Like how, I know you said you mentioned about perspective in your book. Can you like uh, elaborate a little bit? Sure. I love doing different things. My whole life has been spent trying different things. And, you know, the second or third grade, it was raining one day. So the teacher took some of us who was interested to learn this game called chess. I didn't know anything about it. So, of course, I go to the back, and I not only learned it, but I learned I was really good at it. And <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, you know, I had toyed with, because I had won tournaments, and I had toyed with, do I want to be a, a master chess player as a career? Because there is a career to do that. And, you know, I would walk into tournaments, especially when I was in grade school, and I had to, like, climb up onto the chair just to see the table. And, you know, people would stare at me walking all the way in. I hated when I first went to Chester. I hated it because I knew, you know, here we go again. But then when I would win, 
they looked at me for a different reason. And I remember this boy said, oh, mommy, you got to meet this girl. Um, she won the whole thing. He never described me as being little. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And so cool. I study all kinds of things. And my jobs at work, I took a non-traditional path at Caterpillar. I was not, I started out in IT, but then I went into the marketing and the business side rather quickly. I wasn't engineering or purchasing or anything like that. So I had this like side to side, you know, career path. And I took lateral moves and uh, because I learned. So I was in IT. I was in the dealer organization. I was in marketing. I was in parts. I was in new product introduction, which uh, taught me where I got to work with every business unit and facility because, you know, we were going through tier four, which was the largest initiative Caterpillar ever had to go under, which was to meet the government standard for emissions. So our machines had to all be re-engineered. And I had the new MPI at the time where, you know, I had to work with all these product groups. So when I got the foundation job, when I interviewed, I said, we need to decentralize the decision making and ask all these product groups around the world what's important in their area in terms of poverty or whatever we were focused on. And so I had connections through these facilities. And then also with the dealers, I wanted to involve the dealers as well. So when you have all these different perspectives, every one of my past jobs, I realized I was using in the foundation. And also I thought the branding was important. We didn't have our own website. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have anything. I was only the fifth person that had this position with the foundation and it had been formed in 1952. Wow. So people didn't leave wow. this job. So fifth or sixth person, I forget. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you know, I'm always trying new things. I'm working with several companies right now that are um, involved in their businesses involved using blockchain technology, which I really wanted to learn more about and get into. And now I'm heavily involved in it. Um, I loved, uh, you know, when we were, I was 10 years old, my dad set us kids down and taught us how to play poker because he didn't want us ever to get ripped off. So lo and behold, you know, how many years ago, yeah. poker became, poker came to TV and I loved it. So I love playing poker. I've won tournaments. I go to Vegas to play tournaments. I, wow. I, cause wow. it's, cause it's math. You know, if you think about it, it's really, yeah. it's strategic like chess. People think poker is about money, but it's, it's not, it's how do I, uh, you know, beat my opponent by him thinking I have something or not have something. And nine times out of 10, I'm usually the only woman at the table. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I'm always, I'm comfortable with change, but some people aren't. And I have to tell you, if you're not comfortable with change, you are going to struggle because the world is changing, especially during this COVID. We have LeapFrog, they estimate 15 years ahead in innovation because of COVID, because we had to. Yep. And when something bad happens or you you know, when you're driving and you take a wrong turn or something, oh, shoot, now, you know, this is the pitch. But then you run into something that you would have missed or you have a good laugh with your friend because something happened on the trip. So I try mm. to always look at, you know, this is great. Look what happened. This would have never, we would have never found this had we not gotten lost, you know. So it's all your perspective. So when you talk about perspective, Kathy, it's you see the problem or yeah. what can I take from it that, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise taken. And also I have a wide range of friends. Not, you know, I don't just go up to people who look like me. First of all, not many people look like me, but I, I want to learn about different types of people who have different experiences and personalities. And, you know, I like change and the world is changing and you have to get comfortable with it. You have to. Yeah, there is no choice, really. There's no choice. Yeah. But there are things you could do to help you. You know, remember, you're not on your own. That's so true. Talk to people to yep. Yep. help you through it. Right. There's some people who don't want to do that. They, they're, they're negative. And this is where you share such a positive perspective. And in, in, yes, you can. Right. Or, or what can you do? Okay, you may not be able to, you know, I'm not going to play at the Masters today, right? The Masters Golf Tournament. Mm -hmm. But I can certainly watch it and cheer 
and understand the game quite well. But I'm never going to play it. But I do play golf on the Wii. And I play tennis on the Wii. <laughs> so there's, oh, wow. you know, you can, you know, I, there are a lot of things I can't physically do. But it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it, watching it, you know, or being part of the marketing or whatever. You know, find a part about it that you can still be a part of the actual event. You know, in that- my years, sorry, in my years of nursing, I've noticed that when something critical would happen to somebody, they would get so focused on what they can't do anymore because mm-hmm. the change is so radical that it was very difficult on focusing what they can do. And um, I really like what you said about that because, but how do you teach someone that? How do you show someone that? Yeah, it's hard really- though, Kathy. When I have surgery, I this summer I had three surge, knee surgeries in 11 weeks and it really oh took a God. lot of, it really took a lot of emotion out of my only good knee. And I'm, I'm still incredibly frustrated in adjusting to that. Uh, I mean, it, it truly changed my gait, my, you know, how I walk and it's hard. You, you know, you think after 50 years, I'd be used to all this stuff, but th- that's not the case. And so I think it's harder when you had something and you've lost it. Mm-hmm. than if you've never had it before. There's a definite difference, I would. I There's would a difference. Also, yeah. you have to allow time to realize what you've lost. Mm-hmm. Because acceptance and mourning. I have lost, you know, a lot of my stability. I, I counted on my right leg a lot more than my left, and I don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm still adjusting, you know, from the three surgeries very close together. During COVID, by the way. Um, oh where you walked into the hospital by yourself, like we, I drove to Chicago and walked in by myself for these major surgeries. It's like wow. you, you have nobody to lean on. So, you know what? That's a gut check. Mm. You betcha. And, you know, and look at what people are dealing with who have lost family members. Some people have lost both their parents. I mean, this, this is, this is tough. This is, one of the toughest things, if this COVID doesn't show us that we are one world, then I don't know what will. Yeah. Mm. You know, and we have to be supportive of each other. You know, check yeah. on your neighbor. But look at all the good things that have happened. It took us a while to get used to being around our family so much, right? There's a lot of togetherness <laughs> going on, right? And, uh, but we would not ever have had this without this. And also, Look at all the good things. You know, we're checking on our neighbors. You know, we're helping mom and dad. We're, you know, look at what the women are going through. They're, they're working from home, doing the dishes in between meetings, feeding the kids. Oh, and then you have to teach the kids. And the man's probably, the man's probably in the basement working. Yep. Yeah. Right? So it's funny, isn't it, how, you know, perspective changes. Oh my goodness! And you but a lot it. of good, a lot of good has come out of this. Look at all the innovation, all the time we're getting to spend together. You know, oh. all the money we're saving on not having our hair done. You know, think about it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, we didn't have our hair done for what five or six months. I could yeah. get my dog. I could, and I don't know. I could get my dog groomed, but I couldn't go get my hair done. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I I wrote to, I sent a note to the governor website. I go what. You know, you don't have to worry about your hair. You should, I told him. You should worry about your hair because it doesn't look good, but you won't let me go get mine. You won't let go, me go get mine done. You know? I go, that's a man that's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, my goodness. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry Movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at truckingmovesamerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. Oh, uh, so what do you, what are your plans? Like, what's coming up for you? 
Tell yeah, me. you know, it's it's interesting. You know, the speaking is going really well. The book definitely resonates in this time. And mm-hmm. so I love Zoom. You know, I use Zoom at work, you know, before I retired, of course, so I knew all about it. But it's great not having to actually physically travel all the time. It's nice to do these things with you ladies and others and, mm-hmm. you know, really getting people to, you know, look up and have the perspective to look up and and then I'm also involved with some companies on a variety of social impact or, you know, diversity and inclusion on a bunch of different topics that I help on. And then I'm on a board, you know, um, of one of the companies that were working on some of their business with blockchain technology. And then there's individuals who want help. How do I invest, uh, you know, in not-for-profits and know that I'm looking at the right ones and so I help them develop their strategy and then what not-for-profits, you know, fit that strategy so they can get the best ROI out of their investments, you know, in the in not-for-profit space. You know, one, one person was given to an organization that had 95% admin cost, which meant 95% of his every dollar went to overhead. Only five wow. cents was leaving the door. And, you know, I, I want to educate people on how to look at these organizations. Hmm. You, mm-hmm. you teach government too. That, that, that you know, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I do. Um, you know, when I, when I was with the foundation, you know, we met with the highest levels of of some governments, uh, working on advocacy, but also you know where we would, where we had planned on putting our money, investing it, and so even now, you know, with the Biden administration being more, a little, you know, more open to the social impact space, you know, there's opportunities there as well. You teach resiliency and hope. What, mm-hmm. What's the biggest takeaway that especially women can take from that? Right. How do they be resilient? How do they have hope when sometimes they just don't feel like anything's anything but hopeless? I know. Well, it all falls on their shoulders, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, we, we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to do it all ourselves. Although there are women who are in situations where it is just them, you know, a single mothers or if they don't really have support at home, but yet there are organizations that can also help. And, you know, I really learned that with the foundation job that, you know, United Ways and you know, they've really instituted the 211, you call 211. Mm-hmm. And most communities now, you tell them what you're looking for, and they, they have access to the organizations that can help you. And, you know, just the main thing is, so many women try to be perfect. And, you know, if the kids get to school, get home, they got fed and went to bed, that was a great day. Yeah. You know, who cares if you didn't vacuum? Who cares if the bed's not made? But we do care. So it's easier said than done. And also, you're not alone. And if you are alone, go find um, an organization or someone that can help you. Because there's a lot of pressure on the women this last year, especially. You know, whether it's they're trying to do it all with the working and teaching the kids and keeping the household going or they're in a relationship, you know, we, we laugh about all this togetherness, but it's not all pleasant. You know, um, quite a few of the organizations that help battered women have seen a tremendous increase over this last year because of this, because of the stress this is causing. Mm -hmm. And I find that extremely daunting and upsetting. And so as friends and neighbors and other women, we need to really look out for that. And if we suspect something, don't be afraid to, to bring it up and ask how they're doing and do they need help. Somebody has to break the ice and make that first move. Don't be afraid to do that on either side. Yeah, it's very distressing to me coming, especially because I lived in that situation for seven and a half years, right? So I get it. And so when I see, when I see the, the statistics that just keep on rising and rising and rising, it just rips my heart open. I'm like, what can I do to create that change so that, that women right. don't have that fear to, to say something? And it's, right. it's sometimes it's so 
difficult because you feel so helpless. Yeah. So, yeah. What's helping though, Kathy, in the United States, we have more women than ever in legislative positions. And we're really, uh, they're really trying to make a difference in the legislation and the rights of women. We have a long way to go. I wouldn't even begin to tell you that we're really started because I think we have a tremendous way to go. But um, we have many more people, even at the national level than ever before in our Congress, which is our legislative branch. And the laws have to change as well. But so does the culture. And that's the hardest Isn't thing. That the, Isn't that the truth? Changing yep. the culture. Yep. Changing attitudes. It, yep. it's, that's a tough one. That's tough. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's actually what I talk about a lot when I visit the, the women's shelters everywhere I go. Because I make a point. Of, I don't care what city I'm in. I'm going to make a stop and, and, and give a free speech and, you know, talk to the ladies. And yep. I and one of the things that I do say personally is that, you know, yes, uh, you know, the men can be violent and they can do reactive things, but it's also you have a role to play in putting your foot down and taking a stand for yourself and leaving and trying to get away when the red flags are there. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that we all have our role when it comes to that. And sometimes they don't like to hear that, but coming from a situation, years of that, I know personally that had I done something in the beginning, I wouldn't have got that far. Right. So, yeah. So it is trying to create a different culture and see things from, again, from a different perspective. Right. And if we could get the girls, the young girls going in education and yeah. in their self-esteem, oh, then as they, as they grow, you know, whether they work inside or outside the home, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's still, they don't feel they have to depend on another individual, you know, yeah. to be, to feel good about themselves or to feel that they're successful in whatever they choose with their families or outside the family or both. You, you, they can feel confident in themselves. For sure. I, and, I talk uh -huh. to young schools is one of my main targets me too um, when, when i go everywhere it doesn't matter i hit the schools and the shelters <laughs> yep you know, so yeah good for you can i share a little story on looking up real quick sure <laughs> seeing as it's the title of your book when i was in saint Vin uh Cariacu by Gr between saint vincent and the grenadines and uh and grenada i was there donating a bunch of school supplies last year or the year before before covid and um, I, I was, it was my last day on the island. And I, and I said, you know, I was talking to the ocean. I said, send me a shell that, that, that I want, that I can remember by, that I can remember this trip that represents something to me. And so I'm walking along and I'm following my intuition. And it, it led me to my favorite shell, which is the round sea urchin, right? Because of the beauty, it's got the hole on top and it's got, it looks mm -hmm. like a melon. And so I, the, but the only one I could find was this shell that was broken into maybe 10 different pieces. And I was so kind of saddened by the brokenness of the shell that I'm cratering it in both of my hands as I'm walking along. And I'm, I'm, I'm so focused on the brokenness. And I say to, I said, you know, you know, universe, uh, how can I, how can I make this whole? And literally this small voice said, Kathy, look up. So I look up. Yeah. I kid you not, I have a picture of it. There was a whole sea urchin that had got entangled. Uh, a branch had went through the hole in between and the, and the, the shell was hanging off a tree. <laughs> right above my head. And my, my friend was coming along. I'm like, quick, take a picture. No one will believe me. <laughs> Oh, wow. So the, the whole point of that is that sometimes due to perspective, again, mm -hmm. when we're so focused on, on our own personal brokenness, we yeah. don't see that the answer might lie in just looking up, looking yeah. different, looking somewhere else for, for a solution to the problem and not at focus on the brokenness. Right. So that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It was pretty remarkable. What a wonderful it is, message. isn't it? When that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i'm like quick take a picture <laughs> i know good for you that's a good point being open being open yeah open so. to the possibilities yeah oh my goodness yeah 
This has been an absolute wonderful delight talking with you, Michelle. Yes. Oh my god! I know. I loved every minute of it. Michelle, I applaud you for your uh, show you're putting on as well. Well, thank you. We're so excited. Michelle, where can people find your book? Because this is going to inspire so many people. Sure. If you go to lookingup.com, it'll have it all on there. And it's the typical targets and Amazon. But lookingup.com will give more information as well. And, and there's t-shirts because I wear uh, the looking up just because it makes me feel positive. And then when I wear them, everybody wants them. So I finally just put them out on Amazon. And then the stationery I have has little sayings that's from the book Kathy will recognize it you know like celebrity celebrity is not a prerequisite to having a social impact so it's little things like that and you know we all have to find those little things each day that make us happy when I was having all my surgeries as a my early teenage years when people would come visit at the house they feel like they have to bring a gift and so as a young girl you know people always bought perfume so it really got me hooked on perfumes and even now, I still put on different types of, you know, perfume every day because it just smells good and it, you can't help but think, boy, that, that smells good and it just brightens your day. So what is your perfume that you can do every day? I read a, a verse every day about depending on what my day's going to be. And it's just uplifting. That's how I start my day as well. And then I put my perfume on and, you know, what is, what is it that, you know, makes you happy? And, and do that every day. Be nice mm-hmm. to yourself. Yeah, the one thing that I know is that if you don't make time for your wellness, you're going to be forced to make time right. for your illness. Yep, I agree. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Help, you, help, keep looking up. The viewer is great. <laughs> I love think it. So All too. right. You're proving that. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at info at tncradio.live. Thank you for listening to another great interview on tncradio.live and the Truckers Network Radio Show. All of the material you hear on tncradio.live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of tncradio.live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at tncradio.live.